Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the, the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all energy that he provides, that he powerfully works within me. Lord, as we open your word together, we pray that we could hear from you in a new and fresh way that you would speak to us. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, welcome again to St. Bart's. My name is Chris Myers. I'm one of the priests here. Dave is away. He's in Toronto doing a wedding. So pray for him. And... Yeah, I think that's it. I think he talked some trash on me last week about tea. So I just want to clear some things up. First of all, herbal tea is not tea. It's a tisane, okay? Nobody wants to say tisane, but if it doesn't have the tea leaf in it, it is not tea. And the best tea in the world, in case you're wondering and ever want to buy it for me, is Iron Goddess of Mercy. It's an oolong tea. So I just wanted to clear all that up. It's very important. We're talking about the book of Colossians today, uh, Paul's letter, and I want to zero in on this beautiful and evocative phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In these words, we have what I would take to be the beating heart of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ brings is actually himself who he is, and the good news isn't really good without this hope, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If it is not Christ, then it is not truly hope, but if it's not Christ, it's not truly glorious, and if it is not those things, it is not the gospel, the good news. This is the heart of the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory, which Paul then goes on to describe as the riches of the glory of this mystery. Now, why does he say this to these dear people in this letter. Well, what we know about the Colossians is that they've somehow lost their way. Um, we don't know exactly what it is. Lots of scholars have spilled lots of ink trying to reconstruct what exactly was going on in their church, and you can't say exactly what it is that they've gotten wrong. But it seems like what's happening is that they're buying into some sort of philosophy that keeps adding things to Jesus. So Jesus is still there, but they're trying to add things to Jesus, or the word would be sync up things with Jesus. The word is syncretism. Um, idolatry is when you worship something that isn't God. Syncretism is when you take something that you want to worship and then marry it to God. <laughs> it's a little bit more pernicious in certain ways. And what seems to be going on in this church is that they're taking things and they're adding them to Jesus maybe worship of angels, there's some suggestion in the letter that that might be going on. And there seems to be uh, some very harsh and extreme spiritual practices, ascetic practices. Basically, they're abusing their bodies in some way. 
as a way to get closer to God. Um, and that comes out in later chapters in you as we go on in the letter. So here at the beginning in the first chapter, Paul wants to call them back to basics. What's the basic? What's the most fundamental thing? It's this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, you, you may have heard this phrase before, addition by subtraction, that you make something better by taking things away. Or it's the idea that less is more. Um, and that can be true in writing, it can be true in speaking, it can be true in a work of art. And it seems also that the opposite can be true as well, is that there can be subtraction by addition. <laughs> that you keep adding things to Jesus and you actually end up diminishing Jesus and his work and his preeminence. And that's what Paul is saying to the Colossians. You keep adding things to Christ and to the gospel, and now you have a more is less situation. And I want to take you back to the heart. One way to think about this is think about a basketball coach whose team is, is flailing, and this often happens in basketball movies, is what they go back to is the fundamentals. Do you know how to tie your shoes? Do you know how to dribble the ball? Do you know how to pass the ball? Do you know how to shoot? Those things are the heart of the game. A flailing team often makes things more complicated. A good coach make thing, makes things simple. That's what Paul is doing with this letter. He's trying to take away those things that they've added to Jesus and to call them back to this simple truth, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So with that in mind, I wanna look at three parts of this passage. Um, in the first verse before us, I wanna talk about how Christ in you relates to this terrible thing that Paul says, that he rejoices in his sufferings. What a crazy maniac. How is that true? And then I want to talk about the mystery of the gospel, the glory of the mystery, as that relates to Christ in you. And then I want to talk about this last thing in the last verse, Christ in you as the energy that powerfully works within us. So Paul says two crazy things in this verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings, crazy, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, crazy. <laughs> what in the world does that mean? How could there be anything lacking in Christ's afflictions? Haven't you just said, Paul, in the, first, the verses before this, that Christ is preeminent above all and that from him are all things and to him are all things and that everything returns to him and that everything grows up into him as the head of the body, how could it be that something is lacking in him? It's actually a very tough question to answer. And I don't know that I have a great answer to what Paul means here. One answer is in the Old Testament, there was this idea that when the, the Messiah came, there would be some like a ripple effect of his coming called the Messianic Woes. Like the Messiah would come and it would be an earthquake and then there would be these ripple effects. And that the suffering of his people would be the evidence of that earthquake. And that what Paul is talking about is these messianic woes. That may be it, I don't know. But what I do notice here is why Paul rejoices in his sufferings is that it's for their sake. That he's suffering on the behalf of the people that he's writing to. So it's from a place of compassion. 
And this idea of compassion, I think, is very, very important for us. Compassion literally means to suffer with. To suffer with. To have compassion for someone is to suffer with them. And the first level of compassion, I think, that Paul is pointing to is the level of compassion between Christ and his body. Christ and his bride. Christ and his church. Because he says... I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. This is something that is really easy to forget. And when we see the church not on the church's best behavior, it's really easy to forget that there's this mystical but deep connection between Christ and his body. The church of Christ is the body of Christ extended through time and space. That's what we are, that we make up the members of the body of Christ. So that there's this sense in which there is a compassion suffering with between Christ and his church. Not that Christ's suffering on the cross is lacking in some way. Not that he is not powerful to save us. Not that he didn't truly put our enemies to open shame, as Paul says in this letter but that the church, as it's extended in time and space, witnesses to the hope of glory, and that that often takes on the form of suffering, whether in the form of persecution or just in the day-to-day reality of living in a world that is being redeemed but is not yet there. Jesus has compassion for his church. Paul, as Christ's apostle, has compassion, suffering with the church. And he's saying this to you all, you, plural, that Christ in us is the hope of glory. So this suffering is a suffering with. And we can rejoice in it because if our horizon is the hope that we have in Christ, then it resituates our experience of suffering. It doesn't change that it hurts. It doesn't change that the suffering is bad in and of itself. But it speaks to the preeminence of Christ that he can transform, transfigure even, suffering into glory, even if we don't experience that right now. So that's how Paul begins. And then he starts using this word mystery. Now, if you've been around St. Bart's, you know that this is a word we use. In fact, it's one of our values. If you have your bulletin, you can see it on page 10, that one of our values is mystery. I definitely push really hard to have this one in here. Um, But it's resonated with people. And as we were discerning our values a few years ago, this one kept coming up. Let me read how we wrote this phrase. Uh, We value mystery. Through the redeeming love of the Son and the life-giving power of the Spirit, the Father calls us deeper into the divine life. We participate in this holy mystery through worship, community, through word and sacrament, and through the grace-charged gift of creation itself. So all of our values are phrased in a way that begin with God because God is our ultimate value. And this value is phrased in a Trinitarian way. Father, Son, and Spirit, the redeeming love of the Son, the life-giving power of the Spirit, and the Father who calls us into his life, his divine life. 
might notice on this values page that certain words are bolded. Those are the verbs. Those are our responses to these values. How do you respond to mystery? We respond to the mystery of God by participating in it. He gives us sure and certain signs called sacraments, whereby we participate in the mystery. He gives us his body, the community, whereby we participate. He gives us his word, where he speaks to us, whereby we participate in his divine life. One of the things that mystery means in this context is inexhaustible depth. You can't get to the bottom of it. I like to use the word unfathomable to describe it because it's a great word and it's fun to say, even if it's hard to say, unfathomable. A fathom is a measurement. It's the length from the sailor's tip of this finger to this finger, that's a fathom. Not exact, because sailors have different lengths of arms, but get you close enough. It's like measuring a horse by your hands. How many hands tall is that horse? How many fathoms deep is this water? For something not to be fathomable means that you won't ever get your arms around it, you won't ever get to the depth or the bottom of it. So how do you enjoy it? You're just in it. And that's the mystery of God of his divine life, his Trinitarian life that he invites us in, that we're initiated into that life through baptism, that we participate in that life through the Lord's table, that he nourishes us by speaking to us in a living and active way through his word. That's mystery as we understand it. And as Paul talks about it here, it's the mystery of the gospel and specifically the mystery that the covenant God of the people of Israel is also the God of the whole world and that his son is inviting all people to know him, to worship him, to love him, to be saved by him. Paul is saying that God was getting everything into place so that he could bring his son into the world, and now we know. We know what he was up to in Israel. We know what he was up to in his covenants. We know that his intention always was that the savior, the Messiah of Israel would be the savior and the Messiah for the whole world. Again, the heart of the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verses 26 and 27, Paul says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, to us, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The riches of the glory of this mystery. So one image for mystery is depth. You can't get to the bottom of it. Another image for mystery is inexhaustible and abundant riches. Think of Scrooge McDuck swimming in money. He's not gonna get to the bottom of that pool either. Think of a dragon's hoard in The Hobbit. Lots of gold, inexhaustible riches, the riches of the glory of this mystery. I think one of the things that Paul is getting at in these verses and in this letter is this idea that there is no way of living that does not include suffering. (sighs) Dang it. I wish there were. (laughs) I bet you do too. There is no way of living that does not include suffering. But does our way of living also include meaning? 
are there a depth of riches to be had in your way of living? You're going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. But is there going to be a meaning to that? Is there going to be a depth to that? Is there going to be a glory to that? I think Paul is speaking to a group of people, and I think it translates to us. The reason they keep adding things to Jesus is because they're looking for wisdom. They're looking for a way of living. We're all looking for wisdom in some way or another. Some way to live that is fulfilling, that is meaningful, that is deep. We all want something that endures, something that abides, something that fulfills us. And there are all kinds of fake forms of wisdom that promise fulfillment, depth, meaning, but say you don't have to suffer. There's an easier way. Paul says that's not quite true. But there is a way of living where we can rejoice in suffering, where it can be transfigured. Not to say that it was good. The suffering is always bad in itself, but that it could be turned into something else. There is glory in that. So think about these riches. Think about how many stories are about the quest for riches. I mean, if you found a pirate map right now, you'd probably check it out, you know, to see if the X leads to a pot of gold. And in all those stories, we see what people are willing to sacrifice to get riches. They're willing to sacrifice quite a bit. Jesus puts it like this, if you found a treasure in a field, wouldn't you sell everything gladly to get that treasure? And I think that reality is baked into so many of our stories, especially great American stories of rags to riches. Um, I think the most interesting latest version of it is, you know, you just need to be a tech guy in a garage in Silicon Valley and then there's just a billion dollars around the corner, right? That myth of just work hard in your garage, the billion dollar company that started in a garage, those guys who work hard to get whatever it takes to acquire what they think is valuable. I think that's what is underlying what Paul is getting at. He's saying, I've just told you Christ is preeminent, so what, my question for you is what do you value? What do you think has rich riches and value and depth? What are you willing to sacrifice for to get? This points to something about what glory is. The glory of God speaks of his splendor, his majesty, his weight, his radiance, his kingliness. Isaiah, when he sees God in the throne room, speaks of his glory. And all those things, his weight, his radiance, his splendor, are in play. The Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, the Ignatians, they have a phrase And their whole approach to the spiritual life is built on this phrase, the ever greater glory of God, the evermore. Because what is truly glorious is truly abundance. The glory of God is never ending. It is the always more, the ever greater. And that's what Paul is saying. Christ in you is the hope of that glory. Christ in you, me, you individually, us, as a body, 
the body of Christ throughout time and space, Christ in all of us, beginning with the individual, moving outward, is the hope that there is something that is ever more, that there is something that is ever abundant, that there is something that is inexhaustible. And if there is something that is ever more and truly abundant and inexhaustible, then there is a way to live that is truly fulfilling, truly abundant, that has true meaning and true depth. And that's why Paul can end with this phrase. If Christ in me is the hope of glory, and that glory is truly glorious in that it is inexhaustible, then Paul says, I will toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. There's a mystery there because he's saying, I'm, I'm working, but it's actually Christ working in me, and that there's this synergy that we don't quite understand. But I want to focus on this word energy. Um, there's all kinds of ways to think about energy right now. <clears throat> um, energy is quite expensive right now, especially the kind that makes our cars go. Because of different geopolitical realities that I'm sure you're aware of, gas is expensive. Energy is expensive. <clears throat> That's on a geopolitical level, but think about energy in your own life. How many people, because of everything that's happened in the last two years, have described where they are now as being burnt out? What does that mean? That means I don't have any more energy. I'm running on fumes. There's no gas left in the car. I don't have any energy. Paul says, I'm running on the energy of the hope of glory. I'm running on the energy of Christ in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I think that leaves us with a, kind of an interesting like heart level question, which is right now, what kind of energy are you burning? What kind of energy are you running on? Um, in a time of crisis, it's easy to sort of run on adrenaline, <laughs> but that'll burn you out. A lot of people, I've done this, can be effective for a while. You can run on anxiety, but that's kind of a dirty fuel, if you know what I mean. It puts things in the air that other people have to breathe, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> if you're running on anxiety, it sort of radiates outward. You can ask my wife about that, both as my husband and as a counselor. She has depth of experience on what it is to run on anxiety. You can also run on anger. Anger is a very powerful but very dirty fuel. It's like diesel. It puts all kinds of stuff in the air when you run on anger. But what if we could run on an inexhaustible energy? <laughs> I mean, that's the hope of the, uh, of the energy market, right? Let's get inexhaustible energy. But Paul is talking about that in his own life as an apostle and in the life of the church. That Christ in us, the hope of glory, is an inexhaustible energy. Christ powerfully working in and through us, we're running on his energy. In our gospel passage today, we have this picture of two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha often gets the short end of the stick. I mean, she was keeping house, she was doing good things, but Jesus draws attention 
to the heart of things. And so we end where we begin. What is the heart of the gospel? The heart of the gospel is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what does Jesus say to Martha? He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. You're running on anxiety. You're burning that fuel, and it's getting into the air. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the greater part. Mary has a fundamental understanding of Christ in her, the hope of glory. It doesn't mean that the other things disappear. It doesn't mean that you don't have to, you know, put out the chips and salsa for Jesus when he comes. Somebody had to do that. He's speaking to Martha's disposition. Where is it coming from? It's coming from a place of anxiety, a place of being troubled. So I want to end with, again with that question. What kind of energy have you been burning <laughs> lately? The circumstances of the last few years have thrown most of us at some level and uh, many of us to different levels of, of sort of being in crisis mode. What's gonna happen next? A lot of uncertainty. That means that a lot of us, maybe all of us, have experienced some level of burnout because we've been running on a fuel source that's not inexhaustible. We need an inexhaustible fuel source, an inexhaustible source of energy, and that's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So I wanna stand together and just wanna pray. Just simply ask that Christ's life would be at work within us, that his energy would be our energy. And if you feel comfortable, just simply hold out your hands. Lord God, we confess, I confess, that like the Colossians, it's so easy to add things to you. And I pray that we could hear this call back to the heart of things. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we hold before you, Lord, our empty hands, knowing that we cannot fill ourselves, feed ourselves, that we are wholly dependent upon you. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would be our energy, that we could run on your inexhaustible riches, your inexhaustible glory. And we pray, Lord, that you'd be in our midst. I pray for those who feel especially burnt out. Because of all the uncertainty, because of just the ambient anxiety that we're all swimming in right now. And maybe simply silently you can confess, Lord, each of us can confess that we, what we've been running on instead of you. We confess, Lord, I confess, I've run on anxiety, I've run on anger. And I ask, Lord, that I could run on your energy. And I ask that for everyone here, I ask that for the community of St. Bart's, that we would be a community, a church, where Christ is abundantly at work as the hope of a glory. And we ask this in his beautiful name. Amen.